3, starting in verse 1. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. We're not going to get through all of that uh, this morning, but I want you to get kind of a fuller picture. The first couple of chapters, and you'll, if you read uh, in the New Testament, Paul's letters, this is kind of his regular pattern. He usually starts by saying, this is what's true. This is what you need to know. This is what you need to believe. And then there's a shift, usually about halfway through, where he says, and now here's how you should live. So because of all these things that I've said are true, now this is what you're supposed to do about it. It's not just information or knowledge for the sake of information or knowledge. It's to affect the way that you live. So up till now, everything that we've been uh, talking about, what Paul has been saying is this is true. Last week we looked at the falsehood that he was exposing and how some of us get wrapped up in some of those same um, misconceptions. But in general, what he was saying is, this is who Jesus is, this is what he's done, this is what it looks like to be connected to him. And now, the end of the letter, the last two chapters, he gets kind of in your kitchen and says, "And do this and don't do this. And as we read, you'll see it's full of commandments, full of things that we should and should not do. What's important for us to realize is that all of that comes out of our identity in Christ. It's not just because Paul says so, it's not even because it's a better way to live. What he's saying is... This new reality that we're a part of, being in Christ, should affect our behavior on a daily basis. Maybe, maybe you're here, maybe you know people are here. There are a lot of people who think the ethics, the morals, the teachings of Jesus are wonderful. And they want to take those, divorce them from who he is, and say, I'm just going to follow them. I'm, the Sermon on the Mount, you can't get better than that when it comes to ethical teaching. You read every book out there, nothing uh, is more virtuous than the Sermon on the Mount. And there are people, and again, maybe you're one, maybe you know people who say, I'm just going to follow that. I don't know about the Son of God thing. I don't know about uh, crucifixion. I don't know about sin and forget whatever with all that stuff. But these teachings are wonderful, and I'm going to embrace them, and, and I'm going to live them. The problem is you can't, and neither can I. That's why Paul starts with this is what is true. Until we've entered into this new reality with Jesus, we're doomed to failure when it comes to obeying him. You can't follow him. I can't follow him. Nobody can follow him until we first recognized him for who he, are, who he is, which is not just a great teacher. He's the son of God, the savior of the world, and we have to grab onto that. This is Romans 6, 7. It says, anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Another way of saying that is only people who have died have been set free from sin. And that's sin with a capital S, our sin nature. The only way that we can live out the commandments, when I read those things, Paul says, put off, put to death sexual immorality and lust and evil desires and get rid of anger and rage and get rid of malice and slander. When you're thinking about that, maybe you were raised in a culture or a context where that's what you heard, do this and don't do this. And so you set about as a good boy or a good girl saying, I'm going to not do these things. And I'm going to do these other things that they told me to do. 
you realize pretty quick you don't have a lot, there's not a lot of hope there. Now, even if you're a super disciplined person and you have a ton of willpower, eventually you can't keep pushing a car uphill, and that's what you're doing until you've died. And once you've died, then you can be raised again. Then it's like there's gas in the car, and you can just put your foot on the accelerator. It's much easier. I would say impossible to do the things that we're going to do separated from Jesus. With him, it's not easy in the terms of there's never any struggle, there's never, but it's, it's clear, and you actually have the capacity to obey. So let's start with who we are. Our position in Christ. He says in verse 1, you've been raised with Christ. He says in verse 3, 4, or because you died. And in verse 10, he says, or verse 9 and 10, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. So there's three things there, and just they all happen basically simultaneously at your salvation. I'm going to break them out just so you can see the different parts. First, because you've died, or for you've died. Romans 6, 2, we died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Romans 6, 6, for we know that our old self, our old nature, our flesh, was crucified with Jesus so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Again, the picture here, this is sin with a capital S. It's our sin nature that it has a propensity or a bent towards rebellion, not sin with a little s, the acts of sin that we all commit. We fall into the trap sometimes of dealing with sins, these behaviors, and not dealing with sin, our nature. It's cutting the, root, it's cutting the branches off the tree without dealing with the root. They're going to grow back. They might grow back different, but they're still going to grow back. And that's where some of us spend our time. That's what I was talking about. Some of you maybe were raised in context or for whatever reason you kind of have in your mind that that's what God is primarily concerned about. He's this cosmic accountant and he's got the green visor and he's watching what you do and he's checking on your behavior. And he does care about your behavior. But your behavior comes out of your heart. We live out of our hearts. It's the wellspring of life. We've, we've talked about before the center of who we are. And until that thing gets squared up, all we're doing is basically rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. You've got to straighten that thing up, your heart, before you start worrying about the, the sins, the behaviors that you're committing. It's a fruitless exercise. It's going to wear you out, and you've tried that already. It doesn't work. So first thing, you've died to sin. We've died to our sinful nature. The second thing, this is 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And Jesus died for all, why? That those who, who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Jesus who died for them and was raised again. We don't just die to our sinful nature, which causes us to make these bad decisions and commit these sinful acts. We also die to ourself, which is basically, it's, di it's dying to my rights, dying to my plan for my life. It's dying to my value system, it's dying, dying to my opinions, it's dying to my world, all of those things. Ultimately, yeah, those things are sinful because they're selfish, but we don't see them that way. It's just, it's dying to me and what I want to do and how I want to live and the direction that I think I should go in. It's dying to what I think I deserve. It's dying to what I think I'm entitled to. All of that, I died to all of those things. I didn't just die to my sinful nature, which then allows me to not commit these sinful acts. I also died to myself, which allows me to follow him. It's not just a negative well, now I'm free from committing sins. It's also a positive. Now I'm enabled 
to follow Jesus. We've talked before in Hebrews 12, talks about this race that God has laid out for each of us to run. And there's things that hinder us, the writer of Hebrews says, and we want to get rid of those, the sin that entangles us and these other things that hold us back. That's kind of dying to sin. I've got to get rid of that stuff. But it's not getting rid of that stuff so I can sit on the couch. It's getting rid of that stuff so I can finish the race. That's the positive aspect. That's dying to myself as well. I don't just die to sin. Yeah, we all want that. Most people want that. Most folks don't want to live a life, a sinful life in general. But it's also this idea of saying, I'm also dying to me. God is not about my self-fulfillment at all. I'm fulfilled in Him. And so I've got to be willing to lay down whatever those rights, whatever my dreams, hopes, all of that stuff. I've got to be willing to give him all of that. I died to all of that, so now I can live for him. That can be scary for some of us. Dying to sin, for the most part, isn't scary. For most of us, if you've lived under the tyranny of sin for long, you hate it. You're looking for a way out. You want to be set free. You're tired of these wicked behaviors or these mindsets running your life. But this idea of saying, I'm dying to myself, that's... You know, we've talked before. Does that mean God's going to make me marry an ugly girl and move to Africa? I don't know. That's the fear for a lot of us. Is His plan for me better than my plan for me? Is He going to make me poor? You know, you don't know. And that's kind of this dying to yourself. What about what I deserve? What about what I've worked so hard for? What about what I want? That's dying to self. And whether you realize it or not, if you're a Christian, you've already died to yourself. Now it's just a matter of living it out, taking up your cross daily. What Paul is saying, this is reality. You've died to sin and you've died to yourself. That's already done. When you became a Christian, you identified with Jesus in his death. So those things were done. The issue for a lot of us is we don't live out of that reality. But it's already done. The second thing, you've been raised with Christ or you've put on this new self which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Ephesians 2.6, God, God raised us up with Christ. He seated us with Jesus in the heavenly realms. Galatians 3.27, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So the picture there, again, it's not just this negative of us dying. There's also the positive. We exchange our life for his life. We die to ourself and we die to sin. And that allows us to be raised with him and to receive his life. This is Ephesians 4. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, to put off your flesh, to put off your sinful nature, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You were taught to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and you were taught to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see the picture there. It's this exchange. You take off this jacket that you've been wearing of your flesh, of your earthly desires. You take that off and you put on this new coat that is you're clothed with Christ in God. Your life, Paul says in Colossians 3, this is the last one, is now hidden with Christ in God. That's also in verse 3. For you died because you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We have a new identity, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. Again, there's this exchange. In Colossians 1.27, um, Paul says that we have, Christ lives in us, and he's the hope of glory. That's what we're holding on to. It's not just that we can live 
for Jesus. Again, this idea of putting on a jacket and then I'm walking, but that he actually lives within us. We're not just for him, he's in us, which allows us to move forward again. So because of all that, we've been talking about that stuff for a couple of months now. You get that, you know that, it's true. Now the issue is, are you living, am I living out of that reality? Again, for most of us, we would say, yeah, I get it. I've died with Christ, I've died to sin, I've died to myself, I've been raised with him, seated in heavenly places. We think, no, that's not reality for most of us. We still struggle and we scrape by and you know, we have our fingers crossed that we don't blow it too big on any particular day. The reality for most of us is not, I've been set free from the power of sin and death. It's I live in fear of sin or in chains to these particular thought patterns or these behaviors. I'm just waiting for somebody to push the wrong buttons and I'm going to blow up. Or what? It's not reality for most of us that we've been, been set free from these things, that we've died to them and now we're living in Christ. It's not an issue of the cross being ineffective and really it's not even an issue. The issue for us, it's identification. What Paul is saying is be who you are. You live out of your heart, and that's what we're going to get into today. If we can figure out what's happening in our heart, it will help us realize why we struggle with actually living these things out. So, because of these things, because of this new reality in Christ, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to set our hearts on things above. We're supposed to seek. That, that word, set your heart on, it's actually the word is seek. We're supposed to seek things above. This is Luke 12. Don't set your heart on or don't seek what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. Your Father knows you need them, but seek, set your heart on his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. So Jesus sets up a contrast. You can seek, you can set your heart on two different things, the kingdom of God or what you need to eat and drink. So that's basically the stuff going on in your life. Those are your two choices, kind of the things that, that concern us as humans or we can, set our, we can seek, we can set our hearts on the kingdom of God. And so the question for us is, well, what are you seeking? You're in church, and so maybe you give the Sunday school answer and say, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. But for most of us, we don't know what that means. Like if I asked you a follow-up question and said, so what does that mean? And you would say, uh, we don't know. We don't live that way for most of us. The things that we're seeking, the things that our heart are set upon are the things that we see. They're right here. The kingdom of God is way out here. It's invisible. I've got bills to pay. I've got carpool to run. I've got stuff to do. And that's what, for many of us, that's what we wind up seeking. And when we can dial down and kind of see what's happening, we think, golly, I'm in a ditch. But it's difficult in the dailiness of life to truly say I'm seeking after the kingdom. So here's how you can know what you're seeking after. You can grab onto what you're thinking about. In verse 2, Paul says, set your mind on or think about things above. So seek, actively pursue things above, and think about, set your mind on things above. And they're connected to one another. Your thoughts and your heart are connected. Your, Your thoughts can reveal your heart. If you want to know what's going on in your heart, and for many of us it's difficult to really know what's happening in there. We can deceive ourselves. It's kind of subconscious stuff. It's just all in there, jumbled up. It's hard to really know what, what is happening in my heart. And one of the ways you can know is look at your thoughts. Matthew 15, 33 says, evil says, um, from our hearts. Wait, what does it say? Because I forgot. 
Out of the heart come evil thoughts. I got that confused. Out of the heart come evil thoughts. That's Matthew 15, 19. So what you can do is say, am I thinking evil thoughts? That's a reflection of what's going on in my heart. And the same reverse would be true. If you're thinking good thoughts, that's a reflection of what's going on in your heart because you live out of it. So this is what I want you to do this week. I don't know when your kind of idle thought time is. For me, it's right before I go to bed. Five or ten minutes before I fall asleep when I'm not really thinking about anything. That's when my mind is kind of free to wander. For some of you, it's right now when you're sitting in here. Your mind is free to wander. For others, it's when you're driving. Whatever you've got, whenever you're, you know what I'm talking about, when you're not engaged mentally, you're not thinking, where does your mind tend to go? What are the thoughts that come into your, what I want you to do is grab onto those. It could be that whatever it is, wherever your mind tends to go, it's an indication of what's happening in your heart. If you want to know what you're seeking, Figure out what do you think about. What is your mind set on? An easy one. For some people, it goes to money. That's what we're thinking about. Not because you want a big pile of money to sit on. Most likely, you're seeking security. And for where we live, that's found in money. So if you tend to be someone that's in your idle time, you think about that. How to get more. How much you have. How much you lost. How much you made. How to keep what you've got. Whatever. It could be that you're seeking security. For some of you in that idle time, you start replaying the day. Well, I wonder what she thought when I did this, and did she like my hair? And, you know, you start doing all this, you're playing through your interactions with other people, wondering what they thought about, said about, did they whisper when I left, what did he say, all of that stuff. That's what you're you're thinking about other people's responses, opinions, reactions. What you're probably seeking is approval and acceptance. For some of you, what you're thinking, you're going through your day and you've got the checklist and you're thinking about all the things that you did. Check this, check this, did this, felt good about this. What you could be seeking is significance through your accomplishments. For some of you, you're thinking through the checklist, it's everything you didn't do. You're seeking significance as well. You're just never going to get it because all you see is the stuff that you didn't get done. But either way, you're seeking the same thing. Significance. You're thinking about your accomplishments, seeking For some of you, during that idle time, you're thinking about what's next. You're thinking 3, 5, 7, 12 years down the road. It could be what you're seeking is escape. You're trying to, whatever is going on, you want out of where you are. The responsibilities or the boredom or the routine, whatever it is. And so when your mind is idle, you're thinking, well, if I won the lottery then, or when I get this, you know, you're, you're planning, thinking about, dreaming. None of those things are bad in and of themselves, but if you tend to dwell in those areas, it can be a reflection of what's going on in your heart, what your heart is truly set upon, and the reverse is also true. It's not just that your thoughts will reveal your heart. Your thoughts also determine or shape or mold your heart. Romans 12.2, Paul says, Be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. There's this picture that we're changed as... We change our minds. You've heard that saying. It's attributed to a lot of different people. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. There's some truth there. We become what we think about in a lot of ways. Not in the kind of secret, the universe is going to draw stuff to you kind of way. But whatever we think about, it kind of it, our thoughts exert this gravitational pull. In Matthew, Jesus talks, it says, where your treasure is, there's your heart going to be. We, we, it's easy with money to see that. 
you invest in a certain stock, then suddenly you care a whole lot more about that company than you did the day before. Your heart kind of follows your money. There's this pull. But the same thing is true with your thoughts. It's about to be fantasy football season. Some of you, there's a gravitational pull. Suddenly you care a whole lot more about some running back that you didn't know about last week than you, than you used to. There's this grab, college football season is coming. Again, you think about that and you find that your, your heart begins to be shaped by how much time you spend thinking about what could have been or should have been or that blown call or that great catch or whatever it is. None of those things are bad. But you see what I'm saying? As we, as we dwell on those thoughts, they do begin to shape our hearts. And so we want to be careful what we choose to dwell on. There are four things that you can do with the thought. We're not going to get into where thoughts come from. That, to me, is fruitless. Like, this is me. You can agree or disagree. I don't feel like you're responsible for every thought that pops into your head. Some of the thoughts you have to own. Some of them, many of those thoughts come from its external stimuli. It's just, it's stuff that you've seen. It's stuff that you've heard. And that that kind of gets the, the popcorn popping, and you have these thoughts. And some of the thoughts are from the enemy. I don't, think it's been, I don't think it's necessarily fruitful to spend a whole bunch of time trying to figure out where these thoughts come from. To me, you just need to figure out what you're going to do with them once they get into your head. You do that all the time. You make that decision thousands and thousands of times every day. It's on autopilot for you, whether or not you're going to choose to dwell on something. And that's the first thing you can do. You can dwell on a thought. And those are the ones that really shape your heart, the ones that you choose to dwell on. Philippians 4 says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, that is whatever reflects reality, whatever is genuine, whatever is noble, worthy of respect and honor, whatever is right and honest, whatever is pure and free from sin, whatever is lovely and acceptable and pleasing, whatever is admirable and commendable, if anything is excellent or virtuous or praiseworthy, Think about those things. So what Paul is saying, here, dwell, here's the category of stuff you want to dwell on. doesn't mean it's all dandelions and bunny rabbits and you can't think about anything else, but we do need to be careful about what we're choosing to dwell on. Easy application comes to entertainment. What you read, what you watch, and what you listen to. Don't say it doesn't affect you. The reason you listen and read and watch is because it affects you in a positive way. If it didn't, you wouldn't read and listen and watch it. It affects you. It affects all of us. My wife is standing in the back. One of the things I know about her, we can't watch in our house anything, that a movie or TV show, that has anything to do with children being kidnapped or hurt. It's, it's off limits. Before we had kids, it was the same way. For her, that really happened to somebody. It's, she's gone for a week if we watch any of those kind of things. So we don't. Last week, we talked about this principle of freedom being tethered by love. I'm free to watch those things, but out of love for her, I don't. If she's around, the law and order is not on, or whatever the show is. We, can't, we just don't. And you need to figure out for you, entertainment-wise, what are you ingesting? What are you dwelling on? Because it will get from here to here. It will wind up in your heart, and once it's in your heart, it's going to come out. We live out of our hearts, and once it gets in there, it, it's going to come out of you. Some of you are not cussers. Some of you are, some aren't. We won't, we won't make you raise hands. For those of you who aren't, when you're around people who are cussers, that it gets in there. And then you find it comes out. Not necessarily just because you've been exposed to this. It, some, I don't understand how it all works, but it's true. You wind up singing the song that you heard on the radio. You think it's a silly song, but it comes out. It, 
It gets from your head to your heart, and then it comes out, and oftentimes it comes out when you're squeezed. That's when you'll know what's really in there. So my encouragement to you, just be careful about what you do. You don't need to live life scared. Well, I'm afraid to look at this or read this or look because what? You don't know. But you need to live life wise. And you need to know yourself well enough to know what you can and can't dwell on. There's some things that are bad for everybody. There are other things that are just bad for particular people. And that's where this principle of freedom tethered by love comes in. So be careful about what you dwell on because it's going to come out of you at some point. The second thing you can do is you can dismiss a thought. You can dwell it or you can dismiss. Those are, those are your options. Do you want to choose to focus on this and run with it and massage it and play it out in your mind or do you want to kick it? 2 Corinthians 10.5 Take every thought captive. Make it obedient to Christ. For some of you, the thoughts that pop into your mind, they're just not true. You're a loser. You're a failure. You're not good enough. God doesn't like you. Nobody likes you. Whatever it is. You have these thoughts that just plain aren't true that float through your mind. Unfortunately, some of you choose to dwell on those thoughts, and those do shape your heart. And so you live with your head hanging down, thinking that you're in the back seat, when there's no reason to be. They shape you. And so when those thoughts come that you know are not true, you need to take them captive and dismiss them. Just get rid of them. It will feel... um, forced and artificial at first. But over time, it will become the natural thing to do to recognize, you know what, this thought, it's, it's not true and I'm not going to entertain it. I'm not going to dwell upon it. None of that. And you need to know if those thoughts are from the enemy, he's not stupid, he's going to send them to you at a time when it makes sense. He's going to tell you you're a failure when you've got an F because you've got some concrete, hey, see, you are. But that's when you have, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm not my resume. I failed on this test, but I'm not a failure. I didn't get that job, but I'm not a loser. Those are the, you you get how the, and it's not pepping yourself up. It's choosing to live in the reality that you've died with Christ and that you've been raised with him and you're seated in the heavenly places. You're not defined by what you do anymore. So when those thoughts come that you know they're not true, whether it's about yourself or about other people, you've got to grab them. Make them obedient to Christ. That is, say, no, that is not true. This is what's true. And then you kick them. What you can do is you can dissect your thoughts. You notice these all start with a D, which is cute. So you can dwell on them. You can dismiss them. You can dissect them. And for some of you, this is what I'm asking you to do this week. During that idle time, when the thoughts come, I want you to grab hold of them, and I want you to lay them on the autopsy table. I want you to cut them open, and I want you to see why. Why am I thinking these things. Not if it's just a one-time deal, but if you know there's a thought pattern that you regularly kind of engage, that um, you, you move, maybe it's for five minutes, maybe it's for 15, where you kind of move down this road, and you know it's not a great road to move down, but you find yourself doing it on a regular basis, you need to see why. What is that revealing about your heart? Again, if it's this idea that you're second class, maybe it has something to do with your view of God, or something to do with some brokenness in your heart regarding how you were whatever, I don't know. But it's helpful to know, again, if your thoughts are revealing your heart, well, what are they revealing? And the only way to know that is actually to lay them out there. These Our thoughts, are they're always running. It's just this tape that plays in the background. It's like white noise. And if we're not intentional about grabbing onto them, we can go on thinking these things, and they're shaping our hearts for months and years without us recognizing that. So you can dissect your thoughts. And I would encourage some of you this week, that's what you need to do. When these things come, whatever they are, you need to grab onto them. And you need to say, Lord, what in the world's going on? 
How come I continue to wrestle with fill in the blank? Whatever it is in your thought life that bothers you. And the last thing you can do is you can divulge it or you can discuss it. You can share it with somebody. And this might seem counterintuitive, but it's important. If you're ashamed of the thoughts that you're thinking, those are the ones you need to share. Um, James, I think, 5. Confess your sins to one another so you can be healed. 1 John 1, 9 is we confess our sins to God so we can be forgiven. We confess to one another so we can be healed. And remember, sin, it's anywhere that we've missed the mark. So if you're thinking about something that doesn't conform to reality, by definition, it's sin. It misses the mark. And so those are the things that you need to share with other people. Kind of a silly example. Again, um, probably, I don't know, 6, 9, 12 months ago, I can't remember exactly, I went through this little phase where right before I would fall asleep, the thing I would think about was Misty dying. And so I would lay, you know, she's here and she's asleep. And I'm sitting, and then I'll run with that for 10 or 15 minutes. I've already got a nanny. Um, you know, how am I going to organize the kids' school? I mean, do I need to change my office hours? I've, the whole, I've, I have a life without her. She's laying right here. And I'm done. You know, I've gone down this road. And I would say probably weekly for uh, several months, I had these thoughts, and I, again, sometimes it was when she was out of town or when I was coming back from a trip or something, and sometimes, again, it was just I got in bed after her, and I laid down, and I'm thinking, and that's kind of where my thoughts went, and rather than just dismissing those, I dwelled on them, and, I, and it started creating this thing, so I started saying, wow, I'm not crying, so does that mean I don't really love her, and does that, sh-, you know, and I'm getting sideways, all because of these thoughts that I'm choosing to dwell on, and I remember one point, I just told her, I said, you know what? I think about you dying a lot. And, she, and we talked about that. And it was easy and it was quick. And I haven't thought about it since. Discussing it, divulging it with her, something that, you know, I thought, well, maybe there's some shame here. or well, You know, I just felt silly for thinking that. But bringing that up, it kind of broke the power of that thought pattern for me. And I haven't, it doesn't mean I'll never think about it again. But now, when it does, I can tell her, hey, I thought about this again. And so part of it is saying, well, what does that mean? Is there something going on in my heart that needs to be addressed? But what was happening, which is what made me tell her, was I realized subtly my heart was starting to disengage from her in some way. If she's going to be dead, then maybe I don't need to be emo- as emotional. I'm preparing myself for that. She doesn't have a terminal disease. Or I'm just, in my heart, that's kind of what happens. Again, because your thoughts determine your heart. And so... Even though it was for these short windows of time, what was happening was, I think, again, my heart unconsciously, subconsciously, whatever that is, was starting to disengage from her a little bit. I was preparing myself for her to die for no reason. You can see how that would be destructive in any relationship. So if you've got these thought patterns, if you've got some stuff going on, again, particularly if it's things that you're ashamed of, those to me are the, those are the ones that need to be shared. You might think it's deviant for you to share it or people are going to think you're a pervert or people are going to think you're silly or whatever. Find someone who you trust, who you love, and just share with them. They don't need to fix you. They don't need to counsel you. They don't need to give you any advice. You just need to say it. And once it's out here and not just in here, it loses a lot of its mystery and a lot of its power over you. And then if it ever comes up again, it's easy to follow up with that person and say, hey, man, I ran down this road again. Can you pray for me? Or I ran down this road again. I just want you to hold me accountable. The first time you talk about it, it's always the most difficult. After you've done that, you've set the stage to be able to talk to about somebody, to talk about this with somebody over and over again. And for some of you, that's what you need to do. More than anything else, it doesn't sound very spiritual, but more than anything else, you just need to tell somebody, hey, you know what? 
this is, this, is where my, this is where my mind goes when I'm idle, when it's idle. And I don't want it to go there anymore. Uh, we're going to, it's time for us to stop. So I'm going to pray. But I have more. We just don't have time. Come on, Brandon. Brandon's going to close us in worship, and we'll pick up here. Um, we'll pick up here next week. So let me uh, walk y'all through some things uh, prayer-wise, and then we'll close with worship. Brandon will dismiss us when we're done. So please hang in there for a few more minutes. A couple of different groups. If these, if it's you, you can just kind of pray along with me in your heart. First. Father, my prayer is that as we're kind of quiet before you here, that you'd speak to us, that you would show us what's going on in our hearts. God, my prayers for any here who are not living out of the, the reality of our identity in you, not living dead to sin, not living dead to self, not living alive in you. Pray that you would show us that and show us why. What is it that we're seeking? more than we're seeking you. I pray that you would, if there's some here who truly are seeking first the kingdom, I pray that they would hear you say, you're doing it. And they would be blessed because of that, encouraged because of that. And for the rest of us, God, you'd show us what slipped in front, what's gotten ahead. The Lord brings something to your mind that you're seeking first. It could be something, most likely, I know y'all, so most likely it's something good. It's not something bad. You're not seeking some evil thing first. You're seeking something that's really, really good first. It's just not God. Grab onto that. You can just pray this prayer in your heart. Father, I confess that I'm seeking first. Fill in the blank. And I don't want to anymore. So I pray that you would give me the grace to seek first your kingdom, whatever that looks like in my life. You know what's going on. Show me how to seek first your kingdom, your values, your priorities, your agenda, not my own. You said you'd add all these other things to me, and so I trust that this thing you'll add to me in your way and in your time as well. Next group, for those of you, maybe you've got some thoughts that are thought patterns that maybe they don't consume you, but they annoy you. You think them enough that it's bothersome. It pulls you off course. Distractions. I just want you to pray this in your heart with me. Father, I confess that I tend to dwell on fill in the blank. And I don't want to do it anymore. It's not lovely, it's not pure, it's not noble. I pray you'd set me free from that pattern of thought. If there's something in my heart that's opening the door to that, I pray that you would pull that thing out of my heart as well. That you give me the grace when the, those thoughts enter my mind to dismiss them and not to dwell on them. God, my prayer for all of us is that we would be who we are. 
we would be people who've died to sin, who've died to ourselves, and are seated with you in heavenly places. We'd be people who've taken off our old nature and put on you, Jesus. We would be people who would not just live for you in the sense of kind of striving, but we would be people who recognize that you live in us, and we would rest in that that you live in us, that you have more invested in our future and that you have more invested in our destinies than we have invested in ourselves. And that would allow us to relax, to trust you to lead us. God, I pray this week that you would give us the grace to take captive thoughts that need to be taken captive, that you would give us grace to dwell on the things that we need to dwell on. If there's stuff that we're ingesting, that we need to stop. I pray that you would convict us of that. God, we want our hearts to be formed and shaped by you. We want to set our hearts to seek things above. We want to set our minds and think about things above. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can stand up. We'll have some folks up front.